Hello, Marvelites. Welcome. You are listening to Marvel's The Polis for new comics out October 31st, <gasps> 2018. <laughs> I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker, in quotes, October 31st, Halloween, unquote, Marcus. That's is, my nickname. Is that your, your that's, Twitter name? That's my spooky Halloween, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it is name. delightful. Uh, are you dressing up for anything for Halloween? Uh, absolutely not. My usual, my kind of go-to thing on a year-by-year basis and kind of escalating every year is if I'm invited to a party or something just to go as injured me. So like last year, I just went in a neck brace, which is just normal, but I'm injured. Maybe I'll do crutches this year. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. <laughs> whatever whatever works for you. Uh, I'm fun. I'm fun, I swear. Uh we've got a bunch of spooky stories this week for uh I don't I don't remember the last time New Comic Day was on Halloween. Mm. It's a rarity. This year has been kind of a, a fun year for that because I July remember 4th? July fourth, yeah and, yeah. and 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 Halloween. I don't know. We'll see what else. We'll see. Maybe we could look at a calendar. Yeah. It, you know what? I don't think it will be Thanksgiving though. No, that I don't think it'll ever be Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, not this year <laughs> or and or ever. Yeah. International listeners, hit us up when your Thanksgiving is and we'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah. I remember I talking to Ed uh, Ed Brisson very briefly about this exact thing at New York Comic Con. Ed Brisson, we'll get to extermination later. It's, it was great. Yes. <laughs> uh, but we got to dive into the new books out this week. Uh, just to give you a heads up, we're going to talk about all the new comics, print, digital, collection single issue stuff that's hitting the apps we're gonna start with avengers halloween special number one which is one of my picks of the week oh boy this one is a delight i'll give you a little tease both of my picks are anthologies Mm. this week and the first one is this one it's got this really great cover by jeff shaw and rain barreto it just has so many cool little details by them. Uh, you have this scarecrow who's actually Venom and these little kids in their Halloween costumes. All the pumpkins are carved like super things. It's yeah, cute. it's uh, it's actually we used that image as the header for Marvel.com slash Halloween. Yeah. Uh, where you can go and get all your Halloween themed articles and videos and everything like that. It's all there. So go check it out. It's really yeah. fun. Uh, but this issue has five stories in it. And what's one of the fun things I like is it opens up with this splash page slash credits page with uh, just this cool 75 image of Satana, black and white. She She's just a cool character who appeared in Vampire Tales and a bunch of horror books in the 70s. She's brother of Damon Hellstrom. They are son and daughter of a demon, mm-hmm. not to be confused with Mephisto, whose child is Blackheart. Just right. a lot of demons, but we're actually want to talk about all the stuff in this. First story is by Rob Fee with colors by Mike Spicer. Uh, this one's cool. Rob Fee is a writer, producer, a lot of TV stuff that he's worked on. Uh, and Owen is a rad artist who's worked on James Bond stuff and Army of Darkness. Uh, and they do a little bit of a Daredevil story. And it is messed up. Yeah. Woo. Holy moly, I was not expecting it. I'm just, I don't want to give anything away, but it is twisted. And if you've been watching Marvel's Daredevil season three on Netflix, it's kind of neat and fun as a little aside to that one. Uh, We got the next story, which is a Fantastic Four story. And that one is called Whatever Happened to the Richards Family. It's written by Jerry Duggan, art by Laura Braga, and colors by Arif Prianto. It is this sort of universe where the Fantastic Four go up to space, they come back, and Doctor Doom is like, there's something up with these people. Mm. They're not 
the people that I, one, hate and also <laughs> would recognize. So you get a, this interesting thing where he goes to New York to attack them, these Fantastic Four, and he murders them with a sword and his magicness and his, his scienciness. Uh, gets stopped by the Avengers. But then you get to the sense that he was right all along. Mm. Uh, and what's going on is gnarly. This is a universe I would actually love to see more of because you could then turn it into this different story about Doctor Doom, this different story about the world history, and it would be fascinating. The third story has also got this cool sort of twisted dark horror what if vibe. It's called The Thing from Another Time. It is by Jen and Sylvia Soska. The Soska sisters will be writing our upcoming Black Widow book. Art by Jonas Scharf. Colors by Jordan Boyd. And it's gross. This is disgusting. A wonderful Captain America thawing out story that is very much inspired by uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, You've got Colossus and Deadpool, who are a mercenary tag team here working for a version of Tony Stark. It's really fun. And, you know, if you want to get a sense of what the Soskas are going to bring to a superhero book, you get a little bit of that. They're going to be big and wild and fun and funny Mm -hmm. and dark and intense. That story in particular, I felt shared themes with several books this week because it was kind of like it's that foggy, desolate, completely alone in this kind of scary landscape story. And it popped up in a few books and it was really, really, really fun to read. Heck yeah. yeah. The fourth story is a Punisher story set in the 19th century of Paris by actor Jay Baruchel and art by Luca Pizzari, colors by Michael Garland. Jay Baruchel uh, has voiced Hiccup in the How to Train Your Dragon series, which I love. He's been in Tropic Thunder and This is the End and all kinds of stuff. So it's a really neat story. He hits the core of who the Punisher is. And even outside of the New York setting, like you get this is the Punisher, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a, is a really neat thing to do. Final story is by Hollywood heartthrob Robbie Thompson. Yeah, boy. He does a little story called Haunted Mansion, art by Bob Quinn, colors by Chris Peter. It's just a neat and surprisingly sweet little X-Men ghost story. You know, these are all relatively short, you know, four, five, six pages, whatever each. But they're so good. It's Each one of these makes me want to learn more about these universes, what happened in them, why these things are going on, what will happen after these stories take place, which I think is a really neat thing for an anthology to do mm-hmm. uh, when you're, you're delivering little snippets of story and you, all you want is more. Yeah. And that's what this entire book did for me. Totally. You, you touched on something there with that Punisher story, which is taking a character that we know and love so much, putting them in a different setting and then seeing what elements of that character, what will shine through even brighter because the context has been taken away and you're just focusing in on them. And that leads me to Black Panther number five. This is written by ta Coates with Art by Daniel Acuna, letters by Joe Sabino, and an awesome cover by Paolo Rivera with Daniel Acuna. Whoa! Can you talk about an all-star duo right there? Awesome. That note on the Punisher story, really, you can really feel it here. Now that we're kind of moving into the second arc of this intergalactic Empire of Wakanda story, it is completely different from the traditional Black Panther tale that we all know and that we all love. Because we're off far flung into space, we have this different society. We have this different, even more advanced, even more out there technology that kind of we're imbued with everywhere. In this story, we really get to dig into the relationship between T'Challa and Nakia. 
there is so much history, good and bad, between these characters. And just getting this dialogue, which is full of heart, it's full of love, it's full of tension and words said and words left unsaid. I really love that because, you know, that provides as much drama, as much excitement for me as any kind of battle scene, any kind of fight, anything like that. It's so cool. And then as we kind of move to the last third of this story, I love this so much. It's something that Mr. Coates has done a few times. I just think it's so cool. And I think it's used effectively when used sparingly, but to be honest, it just always leaves me wanting to see more books that do this, which is just a wordless element of the story. It's a normal kind of dialogue, normal balloons up to this point. But then for kind of the entire last, you know, five, six, seven pages, there is no words. And we just get to see the last bit of story play out in silence. And it's so effective. It's so powerful. Uh, this is nearly one of my picks of the week. Yeah, I had my notes really focused on this, what you were just saying, the, the silence and how impactful that is in this story, yeah. letting the art tell the tale by these creators. It's wow, it was really good. Up next is Daredevil number 610. And this is part two of The Death of Daredevil. Uh, it was written by Charles Soule, art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So the first part of Death of Daredevil was named after the fear of death, the natophobia. And then this issue is actually named after the fear of trusting people, which is Pistanthrophobia. <laughs> Charles Soule with his big words. He's like, I'm going to get into a dictionary and screw all y'all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is good, though. But it, but it makes perfect sense, right? It's like this one, he's the man without fear. Mm -hmm. And so the first issue, he nearly dies. This issue is about him and Elektra, Elektra joining his crew as they try to take down Wilson Fisk and how much he loves her, how much he trusts her, believes in her wants to work with her for what they need to do, but they are just forever two very different mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. as you see through the story. And the first page here is one of the most gorgeous pages, I would say even this year. It's Matt and Electra. They're embracing. You've got the good use of where the, uh, the title treatment is, where the story name is, an extra caption box. How it's all positioned is really very carefully and thoughtfully done. And it's just wonderful colors and the vibe. There's great moments in here. Electra petting a dog. Yeah. <laughs> all about. Plus, we get to see a little bit more and learn a little bit more about the Vigil, this new character, uh, this villain who uses bone daggers. Yeah. Uh, it is neat. Okay. I want to throw a challenge down. It's coming to me as we're going through these books in order. You know, Black Panther for me was so much about the relationship between Naki and T'Challa. It would really examine that. This issue of Daredevil really, like you said, the fear of trust, it examines so beautifully the relationship between Elektra and Daredevil. This week, let's see. This challenge, if you so choose to accept it, Agent M, to relate every last book. Find something from the previous book that relates to the next book. What do you think? Do you know what I mean? Sure. All right. You mean like a, a good segue? Yes, exactly. Well, but like no matter how forced it might end up being. <laughs> and I'm doing this on the fly. We'll see how I can do it with this next one. But here we go. The next book we have is Extermination Number 4. And it is written by Ed Brisson with uh, layouts by Pepe Larraz, pencils by Ario Anandito, inks by Dexter Vines, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Okay, I'm just going to say, Phil Noto, amazing art. This art team, amazing art. 
boom. Oh, so is that simple? it's already it's already that vague. Oh, the bar is set very low, <laughs> very low. on this challenge. Uh, Except <laughs> as I was reading this, it is a credit to how seamless this art team works together because it's four different people on the art alone. And as I was reading, it was just like this is like. Just the layouts alone, I think that is something that when done well, you can really appreciate when you can see how an image is framed, how the panels are set up. And it just literally made me think like Pepe Larraz is put on planet Earth to do this. I mean, he is just an insane talent. And uh, th the rest of the team does a beautiful job detailing and inking and coloring. This is because... Extermination is so bad news across the board for everybody. There's naturally going to be a lot of friction within the mutants themselves, within the X-Men. And I think Ed just does a beautiful job at exploring that, but not letting that take over the story. We kind of have that very natural, very realist look at uh, how these characters would respond to this very desperate situation, responding to Ahab and everything that's going on, uh, the fact that they're essentially being hunted, and you know, allowing those relationships to breathe and, and to explore that area without going too far in that direction while we're still kind of maintaining the larger sense of danger, the larger narrative here. And uh, I love the moments that Gene gets to, to really be a leader. I think it's, it's so fun to see. I'm so happy that she has kind of this renewed position uh, as a leader of the X-Men and you can really, really feel it here. Um, I have an expletive in my notes here. That says just like this, this narrative is going along so great. It's like so awesome. And, and then I just said, and then, and then, oh, bleep, because uh, things get, the, again, it's a combination of the narrative, uh, how uh, desperate this situation is, how brutal Ahab is, and the way that Pepe and the art team uh, visualize that is really awesome, specifically thinking about the last few pages of this book. Yep. I just want to see Ahab get his face kicked in. Yeah. Issue. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tucker, for your challenge. Yeah. I've got not one but two ways oh, that man. the last book connects to this one. One being that that extermination to many of us who have been reading X-Men crossovers and comics for many years believe that extermination does feel like a classic old school story. And the next book I will talk about feels very classic and old school in many of the best ways. Mm -hmm. Additionally, this extermination book sets up a final battle, something we're going to get to the big climactic end. Well, here in Iron Hammer, the Infinity Wars book, we have a giant climactic yeah. battle happening here. So, Challenge taken. Let's keep going with this one. Nice. Uh, this one is written by Al Ewing with art by Ramon Rosanas, colors by Jason Keith, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. This is, like I said, one of the most old school feeling issues this year. Big, dramatic, hyperbolic storytelling. It's got family and love and betrayal, classic weapons and cool callbacks. You know, in here it's the Ten Rings of the World Tree. In the proper Marvel Universe, it's the Ten Rings of the Mandarin. It's this really neat way of warping even even elements here and weapons. We've got callbacks to characters such as Itri and how Loki should have been warped, but we know that in the greater Infinity Wars storyline, he does not get warped. He is on his own, and the character who he should have been warped with even has that feeling of like something's wrong. He mm. should he's missing part of himself, which I thought was just so terrific. This is great fun in this issue. All right. So uh some real classic 60s Mighty Marvel vibes in that one. 
absolutely totally agree and what's more classic 60 mighty marvel lives than the fantastic four <laughs> uh just outdoing myself in uh the vagueness of these segues anyway this next book is marvel two and one the thing and mr fantastic number 11 it's written by chip zadarsky with art by ramon k perez colors by federico blee and letters by vcs joe Carmagna. the big question with marvel two and one was you know what happens to this book when the fantastic four return and we've gotten some tastes of that and and I think this is the best example yet of the direction that this series looks like it's going and and I think it's so perfect because the two in the one can shift and they can change and you can examine these different relationships and this one we're examining the relationship between Reed and Ben one of the things I was thinking about as reading this is this is as close to essential reading as possible without it being literally essential reading to go hand in hand with the main Fantastic Four series because we examine so deeply essentially Ben's feeling of uh, like he was abandoned like he and Johnny were uh, betrayed and and kind of left without knowing what happened to Reed and Sue and the kids and there's a lot of resentment there there's so much to dig into that just addresses the years that the team was broken up this book starts in a diner and it's just a conversation between these two and I could just read a whole book about that I could read multiple issues of just these two characters discussing their points of view, why they did what they did, and read as a means to explain what he was doing and where he was and and why Ben should understand. He takes him to an alternate universe and they meet up with who? Victor Von Doom of another alternate universe, but who's like a good, nice guy. Uh, Reed goes up to him and embraces him and says, hey, buddy, it's great to see you. And uh, Ben is very, very suspicious. I love the position that Ben has kind of always put in because he is the rock. He is so blunt. He is just so straightforward in the way he he handles situations. And we've seen him for so long now, specifically after Reed and Sue kind of left the picture for a while, as the one who is just so steadfast in his feelings, so steadfast even when Victor Von Doom of the Earth 616 kind of started to be a good guy for a little while, he refused to believe it. And I think we get echoes of that kind of dynamic in this book. And it's so fun to examine that through these different characters' points of view because they contradict one another and they both have great arguments and they're both right in a lot of ways. And that's kind of what makes a great story. And uh, yeah, another great two-in-one entry. Yeah, I I love the way Ramon draws, especially the thing. Mm -hmm. His body is so big. The way he draws his arms are really long and and, and cool, very strong. And then he really nails Ben's baby blue eyes. Yeah. Like that, so much heart. It's terrific. Mm -hmm. So that is Marvel 2-in-1. The next book is Multiple Man. And in Multiple Man, there is a character who is two in one. Whoa. Yeah. How about that? It was written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Andy McDonald, colors by Tamara Bonvalain, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I saw Matthew a little while ago. He was waiting outside the Marvel office because it seems like that's all he does. Yeah. This is the second time I've seen him in about two weeks. Last time I took him with me to go buy a shirt and tie, uh, and he wanted to go with me again, but I was not going to buy a shirt and tie today. I was just getting myself a salad. Anyway, uh, what a bonkers story. This one is, whew, you got so many living and so many dead Madroxes, super Madroxes and bearded Madroxes and beach bum Madroxes and heroic Madroxes. I hope Matt had a chart when he was plotting out this story. Because mm. it's like, oh, some... Pepe Silvia, Pepe Silvia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you watch The Good Place? Uh, yes. Are you on this, sir? No, I'm not caught up. Uh, there's the 
way that they were explaining time right. in this most current season, just like the way that time works in the afterlife mm-hmm. is basically it looks like someone's signature <laughs> and like the way the timeline goes. Yeah. And so that's how I now think about this story. Yeah. It is so good. Uh, we get a single Madrox at the end. I won't tell you how, why, what, all that stuff. Will they be able to make dupes? Will they be able to do stuff? Will they be connected to anything else? TBD. Hopefully we shall see. Ooh, okay. There are two characters in one in there, and there are two central characters in this one book that I'm going to read about. Ooh, boy. Just when you think the bar couldn't get any lower, I will take that thing to hell with me. Uh, This next book is Old Man Hawkeye, number 10. It's written by Ethan Sachs with art by Marco Cacchetto, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs Joe Carmagna. I think it... The progression of this narrative, because it's taken us to the Rockies near the Canadian border, it's cold out, it's kind of constantly snowing, they're kind of stuck in even more vast, wide open spaces. This is kind of part of what I was referring to a little bit earlier when I was talking about these kind of desolate desperate times and settings and how that really feels reflected in the narrative here because it feels like Clint and Kay are kind of in the bleakest of circumstances so far. They're on this odyssey. You know, it feels like they're they're really just walking in kind of waist-deep snow here, almost literally because they're up against it in, in a lot of big ways. There's a great fight scene here with a kind of weird sentinel. This is just such a monstrous book. It feels like a great release for Halloween. It's very personal. It's a, it's a kind of great mix of being a very quietly scary, like in your face, whispering in your ear, personal, horrifying journey for Clint specifically, while at the same time being, you know, literally up against monsters, up against death itself and having to conquer and take on that in a really direct way. And as we approach the last two issues, which I actually can't believe we're so close now to the end, it's going to be really, really cool to see how this this series, this odyssey for Clint finally reaches its conclusion. Do you think this universe, the Old Man Hawkeye, Old Man Logan universe, has, because of the populations have probably been decimated, that climate change has sort of slowed down a bit? <laughs> I mean, it's a great question. It's a really good question. Is that a a silver lining to (laughs) all the horror of this? Maybe. Uh, Because, man, I look at our planet. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It it does feel like we're on a track towards an old man Ryan, old man Tucker (laughs) scenario uh, where it is this this wastelands. I mean, it is called the wasteland. So maybe, I don't know. It's it's a really good analysis. Actually, this issue made me think of uh, Blade Runner in a way. Uh, and of Blade Runner 2049 and the kind of atmospheric way that that all reflects the story going on. Yeah. And if you want to know what's happening up in Canada, this is your issue. Yeah. Okay, so from the wasteland to your mobile device, we're here to talk about Marvel Strike Force. Thanks to our advertiser, Marvel Strike Force, being with us this week. We've got heroes and villains united in this stunning role-playing game for your mobile device. In Marvel Strike Force, the world is under attack, and it's up to you to recruit a team made up of your favorite Marvel superheroes and supervillains in order to eliminate the threat, save the world, and feel like a hero all the time. This week, there's so much great X action, and this month, featured in Marvel Strike Force, we have the arrival of the Brotherhood of Mutants, Magneto and his 
band of dark cohorts have joined the fight, recruit the entire Brotherhood team, and show the world why mutants truly are superior. Shapeshift with Mystique, ignite the fight with Pyro, crush the competition with Juggernaut, and unleash the animal within with Sabretooth. Yeah, and coming soon, there's going to be a legendary event for Magneto. He's going to have a big battle. You have to gather a team of X-Men and the Brotherhood of Mutants characters, and you can then fight alongside each other through enemies. You get a chance to recruit Magneto himself. That's going to be great. You don't need your own mutant gene to play. You just got to download Marvel Strike Force today. All right, so don't think I forgot about the challenge, Tucker. All right. No. From one old man... To another. Damn. We're going from Old Man Hawkeye to Old Man Logan. Issue number 50, written by Ed Brisson, art by Ibrahim Roberson and Neil Edwards, color art by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. And it's my pick of the week. It's one of my picks of the week. It's the final issue of Old Man Logan. No, it's not the final Old Man Logan story. Not yet. But, oh boy, this is so good. I loved what this issue examined because Old Man Logan, his body is so beaten. He's so kind of at the end of his tether. He really has nothing left to offer for a fight. But what he stands for and his kind of relentlessness that he's always exhibited throughout his entire existence can still inspire people. And the people of this town who are up against Maestro are inspired by just that and they're moved to take up arms and to kind of you know while they don't necessarily have logan there to help them physically they have him there to be a symbol and that's something that will never change that's something that will never go away and after that i cannot talk about basically the entire second half of this book yeah 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 i mean it's gorgeous uh there's gruesome Mm -hmm. there's uh things that happen and uh be warned, this is an intense issue, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's real good. Dead Man Logan starting real soon. Looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. So Old Man Logan, like I was saying, we see this group of people in this small town joining together to fight. And that's exactly what we get in Spider Force. This is a Spider-Geddon tie-in. Spider Force number one. It's written by Priest with pencils by Paolo Siquiera, inks by Oren Jr. and Craig Young, colors by Guru AFX and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Tucker, uh, how familiar with are you with Priest's work? Uh, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. I've been doing some, maybe a little bit top secrets work on mm-hmm. some Marvel Knights stuff Great. and chatting with him and chatting with a bunch of people and obviously he was super heavily involved there. So I think that research most recently has kind of exposed me to his work. But then I'm thinking back to, I think the most recent series that we covered of his might have been the... Uh, once in the Future Kings? Yeah, in Human Story. Yeah. Humans was really good, but this, like, this to me is primo priest. Mm. It is so good. This was nearly one of my picks, too. And if, if you listeners aren't super familiar with priest work, strap in, because this is just awesome. It's punchy, funny, fast-paced, put-your-head-on-a-swivel superhero kind of story. Yeah, I was also really just loving Paolo Siguera's art here because it, it has a really kind of realistic look to it but it is so dynamic it has such a spidery movement to everything uh, and i love it so much i mean i know that chris priest was a longtime editor of spidey comics and so obviously he gets it as well as anybody else that was actually something uh, that someone mentioned to me in a recent interview i did for this kind of secret thing uh, where they said priest's work as an editor was incredible but 
he's such a talented, like incredibly legendarily talented writer that you just need him writing. You know, as good as he will uh, be as an editor, you just need him writing. You really feel that here. With all the action that's going on in Spider-Geddon, you know, there are so many characters involved in everything, but there's not necessarily a, they're not necessarily a team, a team team. So it's really cool to get those vibes in this story. Yeah. I would want to just run this down real quick because this is Kane putting together a team. Mm-hmm. You've got Jessica Drew from our universe. We've got uh, this spider kid from a different universe. We've got Ashley Barton, who is from the Wasteland universe, the, or at least a similar one to that, mm-hmm. uh, because I think she may be dead in <laughs> that universe. TBD question mark. Can't remember off the top of my head, but she is Peter Parker's granddaughter and Hawkeye's daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then got this mystery character who we meet and Kane's putting them all together uh, to try to find the crystal that houses Solus, the sort of patriarch of the inheritors. It's neat. And it's they're ready to do whatever needs to get done. Yeah. And that's what I love about having Kane lead this team. He's like sacrifices, killing we are doing what we need to do for the greater good. Mm -hmm. Speaking of characters who will do whatever they need to do, Tony Stark Iron Man number five features the return of Arno Stark. And this is written by Dan Slott with art by Max Dunbar and Gang Hyuk Lim, colors by Dono Sanchez Almara, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Arno Stark. All right, so the original Arno Stark was created in the 80s. He's an alternate universe cousin of Tony's who had the best costume. Mm-hmm. He had giant gears around his shoulders and he was gnarly. He was he was neat. You can, um, we just put out a, an Iron Man 2020 trade because he was called the Iron Man of 2020. <laughs> you know, I think 25 years, 35 years or so before 2020, people were like, I don't know what yeah. I'm going to have, man. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Uh, so that was the original Arno Stark. In about 2013, Kieran Gillen, the writer, and, and other art- artists, Carlo Pagulian and others, they brought a new Arno Stark into the Marvel Universe. He was a brother of Tony's, and he was introduced as Howard and Maria Stark's biological son, but he was sick. There's this whole story of him needing uh, help with this like weird alien computer thing, and they had to hide Arno underground, and he could barely move, and all this other stuff. Uh, and Tony later found out. They used, Tony was adopted as part of this mm-hmm. bigger story. Anyway, it all came together. It was really cool. Arno was able to put on a suit and then be a hero and be other parts of the life. So he hasn't been seen in a little while. Uh, I would say go check out Iron Man number 17 from number uh, from 2013. Read on from there if you want a little bit about who this Arno is. But the title of this issue is 2020 Vision, mm. which I find really interesting. 20-20. <laughs> uh, anyway, this ends up being one of the creepiest issues this week. On top of everything, it's a really great horror tale of Arno using his genius in a number of ways. Some of them go into like Twilight Zone-esque horror, body horror, human monster horror. It is super neat. And he'll he'll do things that aren't necessarily good, uh, but he'll do what needs to be done. Right. It's a really interesting character and setting him up, I'm very fascinated to see 
what happens with uh, with him in Tony's life again. All right, so from uh, Tony Stark Iron Man, we go to Vault of Spiders number one, and it definitely had a horror vibe. And Vault of Spiders is an anthology book, sort of like your Tales from the Crypt or old school horror comics that had a narrator and would tell you these little tales. So that's the challenge accepted and delivered thereupon. <laughs> uh, first up, three cheers to this amazing cover by Giuseppe Camicoli and Dean White. You put Leopardon on the cover, and I am 100% in. Leopardon is the giant robot that is piloted by Spider-Man, Spider-Man from the 1970s television show. But, you know, if you talk to editor Nick Lowe, he will tell you up and down about how much great stuff is in this book and how some of his favorite spider characters actually show up in this title. And he ain't wrong. You got four stories and a framing sequence. So uh, the framing sequence or like the prologue with our narrator is written by Jed McKay, art by Scott Kalblish and Andres Mosa with letters by Travis Lanham. This book is so good, I damn near forgot that. It's one of my picks of the week. It's so great. So the first full story in here is called The Web Slinger. Written by Colin Bond, art by Javier Polito, Munza Vicente, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This one is terrific. This is an Old West Spider-Man. Javier Polito does a lot of work with silhouette and sort of, you know, a stark background. Just the black outline of a character filled in. Tells you everything you need to know. And it does a great job of really, not simplistic, but simple, smart storytelling. Done really, really well. And it's this cool, gnarly story about this cowboy spider-man he puts a spider-man mask on his horse if you don't know anything else you know that that's a reason to read this book all right so second story is the greatest comic book story of the year i would say it is called final galaxy battle it is written by jed mckay art across the board, and lettering by Sheldon Vela. And it is a Spider-Man story. It is manga-style, black and white. It is incredible. It's a giant kaiju show where Spider-Man has a ship called the Marveler, and he can turn it into a giant robot to fight giant monsters. His main nemesis is Professor Monster. There's a whole planet spider. The mythology is wild. It's it's bonkers. He has cool weapons. He has the greatest theme song in television history. It is so much fun, and this captures everything I love about the show in comic book form. It is big. They actually like riff on the theme song in some of the lettering and the the, the effects in here. Sheldon, he's done a bunch of work for us before, but he hits this manga style speed lines and kanji and uh, just wild effects and really cool panel layouts. Professor Monster in here gets his own giant kaiju and he looks super cool and, and, and just disgusting and intense and it's fantastic. Spider-Man rips off the dude's head, like his robot head to show it to him because he's going to bring him back to where they need to go, Planet Spider. And you get the last panel. It actually has the yeah, yeah, wow, which is from the theme song. And oh man, everything about this makes me happy. This is truly legitimately my favorite thing that we put out maybe this year in single eight pages. So good. But we still get more. We get a spider bite story, a new character, spider-byte. This is written by Nyla Magruder, 
art by Alberto Albuquerque, colors by Andrew Crossley, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Nyla's done a, a couple of things for us. It's super fun and cute. Uh, it's this character who is a spider hero inside a virtual reality. Being a hero, being cool, neat costume design. And then finally, the last story in this issue is called The Savage Spider-Man by writer James Asmus. Pencils and inks by Juan Gedeon. Colors by Andres Mosa. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This one is so cool too. You've got an orphaned Peter Parker raised in the Savage Land by monstrous spiders where they would poison him and sting him but only so much to make him stronger and like more resistant. Uh, but he grows up basically as a savage character and he becomes a champion and protector of dinosaurs and land and gets me hyped just thinking about it. So good. Uh, here's the windup and the pitch from one book lettered by Joe Caramagna to another. <laughs> this <Wow. laughs> is West Coast Avengers number three. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Stefano Caselli. Colors by Triana Farrell and letters by, like I said, Mr. Joe C. This book, I kind of had a moment when I was reading this book because, yes, Tigra is like 50 foot tall. Yes, she's kind of destroying Los Angeles and the West Coast Avengers are doing their best job to stop her and some other kind of giant monstrous creatures that have emerged. But it's not just that. It's not just that awesome, fun, huge action. Stefano nails the yard. You can feel how giant these characters are. You feel the scale of everything. But I, I had a moment because there's some back and forth between a few characters that just made me stop and be like, these characters are so idiosyncratic. These characters are so specific. Uh, and then that is all fitted together like puzzle pieces. And then that emerges into the larger tone of this book, which is so specific and so much fun to read. And I just kind of had my mind blown stopping for a second and realizing like this all came out of one mind. Like this all came out of Kelly Thompson's head, capturing the voices of America and Clint and Kate and Gwenpool and Brodock. I did a I did a recent interview with Scott Ackerman, writer of uh, X Men Black Mojo number one and comedian, host of Comedy Bang Bang and everything. Uh, and he listed West Coast Avengers as one of his favorite books going on right now. And I totally agree with him. I think this is uh, you know I just never want it to end. Yeah, look if you've been on the fence about the book. Now is the time to pick it up. Yeah. It is so good. It is easily one of my favorite books every time an issue comes out. And if you've never picked out a book, picked up a copy of this run of West Coast Avengers, hit me up on Twitter. Let's talk. Mm. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, oh, before I even get there, i got to remind y'all, or just let you guys know, Steve Wacker makes a cameo in West Coast Avengers. Oh, yeah. Delightful Steve Wacker, former editor of the Spider Books and who's done a lot of work for Marvel television and stuff. I cracked up when I saw that. I al almost got myself into some trouble with Mr. Wacker recently. He was in the office for a creative retreat. I was wearing a T-shirt with a certain baseball team from a certain St. Louis town that Mr. Wacker is also from. He stopped me in the hallway and said, hey, do you like that baseball team? And I was just kind of like caught off guard like, uh, yeah, sure. And, and he was like, oh, Awesome. And then I just had to spend like the next two days praying that he wouldn't <laughs> try and strike you, up a convo not a uh, with me. I, I'm a fan of T-shirts. That's what I'm a fan of. Okay. <laughs> Ozzy Smith. Just be yes. like, sure did like that Ozzy Smith. That's actually great advice. And then he would be like, oh, that kid's great. Uh, give him a candy bar or something. Uh, that's Steve Wacker for you. Anyway, from one book with young 
superheroes battling monsters, we see uh, what if magic about a young mutant superhero who had to battle monsters and demons. Written by Leah Williams, art by Philippe Andrade, colors by Chris O'Halloran, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And this is actually what if magic became Sorcerer Supreme. And it's my pick of the week. Yeah, very nearly one of my picks of the week. Next two books, this one and the next one, just like highest recommendations among the full list. I want more stories that spin out of these what ifs. Like mm-hmm. we've had a really great crop of what ifs that I could like see full limited series or ongoings or whatever. And this is another one of those. You get a little bit of the description of of what's going on at the beginning of this, but in the Marvel Universe, Ilyana, she's taken away as a little kid. She is the sister to Colossus. She is like seven years old, and she's taken away by a demon to Limbo, reappears moments later as like a 14 or 15-year-old. It is wild. While she's there, she is essentially tortured and trained to learn magic and fight for her life in this limbo dimension and it is just messed up and she's completely messed up for years so we get a magic who reappears in the marvel universe here instead of staying with the x-men learning to figure out her powers and who she is with the new mutants she hightails it and she just leaves because everything is just too much and so she's traveling and she's got all this bubbling magical power and it gets on Doctor Strange's radar. Uh, I was so just blown away by Leah Williams' work here. And I completely agree. That's those you outlined one of my notes that I have is just the, uh, like I would read a whole series of this. Like this book does so much in 20 pages, but I just want this expanded into 10 issues because the dynamic that emerges as magic is trained by Doctor Strange. The idea of... Ilyana being trained and raised by Doctor Strange and Wong is pure sitcom gold. Yeah. And it would be so much fun. I would pay so many dollars to watch this in some way, shape, or form. Read this. I just, it is so good. Uh, not, I, I, this is an easy transition, but not just because it's, it's Leah Williams writing this next book, but because specifically Leah Williams is so good. Oh, man, she is so good. We get something very specific and very to the character. Gets to the heart of magic in What If Magic and in X-Men Black Emma Frost, number one. We get something so specific to Emma Frost. She just gets it. She just nails these characters. And uh, pencils on this book are done by Chris Bashalo, inks by a host of artists, including Foucher Vey, Live Say, Townsend, Mendoza, and Bashalo. Colors by Antonio Fabella, Dan Brown, Carlos Lopez, and Chris Pasalo, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. Emma Frost in this in this story is so dastardly, so smart, and I, you know that all is just contained within the writer, within Leah Williams. I'm a huge fan. This book specifically, to me, had such a wonderful pace to it. It's kind of a heist story in a way, but we move so beautifully along as we get the X-Men involved, as we see Emma Frost going through this journey, but never really batting an eyelid the entire time. And that's what's so much fun about it. Yeah. So the book opens with Emma meeting the X-Men in a big box store, which is so great. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that that was a thing I wanted to see, but now it is tremendous. Uh, one of my favorite things in here, Chris Pachalo is like one of those legendary artists. He's, again, one of those artists, artists that 
You know, you look at a Scotty Young and he just dies whenever mm-hmm. he talks about Chris. And Chris did a lot of work with Emma in the pages of Generation X. Uh, so he's very familiar with the character and he like fits right back in working with her. But he's just so good. The In the store, there are these pages with most of the background is like grayed out but and not really given a hue. But then you let Emma and Rogue and other things pop off the page so hard. It's so cool. Chris's costume work for them, fantastic. Rogue is, she's, her shopping look is a frilly poncho and her hair up is in the 60s style. And Emma's got this furry cape on over a white skirt and shirt combo with metallic cuffs and a cool belt, great boots, this X clasp on her cloak. It's really, really fun. I this, Like Shannon's Mystique story last week, I really want more Leah Williams, Emma Frost comics. She hits that core heart and sincerity of Emma while making sure you know that she is not someone you mess with. She is not a white hat good person. Uh, She is calculating and dangerous, but she has got her own mission. And whether or not you like it, she still believes she's doing what she needs to do for herself and in many cases for other people. She's always constantly trying to help people. Mm -hmm. which I think is really something to keep in mind with Emma, whether it's her students, whether it's other mutants. We recently did an episode of This Week in Marvel, number 361, a couple weeks back. That's our interview with Leah. Definitely check that out. And then this week's episode, number 366, I'm going to go into a little bit of a primer on Emma Frost, which I wrote like 1,600 words on why Emma is awesome and some really fun stuff to to dig into. So stay tuned for that. Nice. Yeah, and the... Uh, at the end of this uh, issue, we get the conclusion to Apocalypse Degeneration, which is written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, with art by Geraldo Borges, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. And we really get the full picture of why it's called that, Degeneration, um, because for me, this story has so beautifully broken down Apocalypse into, you know, kind of to his lowest state, to his most core elements, and then built him right back up. I've really, really enjoyed seeing this kind of now more powerful, more informed, more angry Apocalypse that comes out of the other end of this story. It's been great. Heck, yeah. Uh, We've got two True Believers issues out this week. True Believers, what if the Fantastic Four had different superpowers? And True Believers, what if Legion had killed Magneto? And that one, the Legion one, is dope. It is sort of a different take on Age of Apocalypse and the potential there. Actually, part we, we did a little aside. At one point in the 90s, we did what was called the Alterniverse, mm-hmm. uh, where we took like a bigger thought about, oh, we're going to make these alternate universe stories a bigger deal. And that's where we got Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe was an Alterniverse story. And there's a couple others and a couple issues of What If didn't stick around for very long. But this is great. Collections on sale this week include Avengers Undercover, The Complete Collection, Incredible Hulk Epic Collection, The Leader Lives, Jessica Jones, Blind Spot. This is the collection of our Marvel Digital Original series, and I am ringing the bell because this is one of the picks. Doesn't matter if we have too many picks. Mm -hmm. This is another pick. It is terrific. This is the first time it's in print. It is the length of uh, six individual comics. Came out as the three issues of the Marvel Digital Originals. I'm so excited that you get to read it in one chunk. Awesome. We also have Mutant X, the Complete Collection, Volume 1. Which is really cool of alternate universe, 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. I can't remember the timing, but it's weird and gnarly. And I bet you Matt Rosenberg has a lot of opinions (laughs) on this because the main character is Havoc. (laughs) 
We also have Weapon H Volume 1, AWOL, Weapon X Volume 4, Russian Revolution, X-Men Blue Volume 5, Surviving the Experience, and X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis. It is the best. X-Men Grand Design is so good. This is an oversized collection of the two issues from Second Genesis, those those two issues and that. Mm -hmm. Man, it's so good. It's the best. All right. On the Marvel app this week, we have some stuff I never expected for us to put up for sale. We've got Royal Roy, Top Dog, and Wally the Wizard. We did uh, cartoon comics, essentially. They were called Star Comics, and they were cartoon characters. When we did our ALF comics, they were part of the Star Line. I think Peter Porker may have been part of the Star Line, but these are little comics for kids. And you got Top Dog and Royal Roy, and they're very silly and fun. Digital Collection is Star Comics All-Star Collection, Volumes 1 through 3. So um, that's why they're being presented as individuals as well. On Marvel Unlimited, oh, we have a plenty. West Coast Avengers, more of that filling in old issues, some old X-Men Unlimited, uh, some 90s Venom, Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man, which was really good, issue 303, Impossible Man Summer Vacation from 1990, two issues of that. Yes, get into it. It's so good. Hunt for Wolverine and so much more. Lots to check out on Marvel Unlimited this week. Anything else you want to say, Tucker? Woo. Uh, nailed those transitions, didn't we? Yeah. I want a new <laughs> challenge from you every week now. All right. Well, I'll get thinking now. It's going to take me a full week <laughs> to come up with something uh, next time. So tune in to find out. Yeah. And we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.